making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. At four in the morning, my phone rang. They said, I regret to inform you that your husband was wounded in action. Victor sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. I was doing school full-time, and I was also then caring for Victor. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. I just didn't want to forget that I also had goals and that I also had a life. What I did is I challenged Victor to meet me halfway. There are almost six million military and veteran caregivers across the nation. We have our own journey, and we can fulfill that journey at the same time that we are helping our loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. ESPN 1420, KPEL, Lafayette, ESPN 103.3, K277DQ, Lafayette. A Town Square media station. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome in the Great Scott Show. Going up on a Tuesday. How are we feeling? Everybody good? Great. Seattle's feeling good. They're in first place in the NFC West. Probably going to be the only time all season, but uh, when Nathaniel Hackett can't hack it and they continue to bumble and stumble like the Broncos' decision-making last night, you take it. When a team continuously gives you a game to take, you take it. I mean, Denver was looking like the, 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 the old Matt Ryan Falcons in the red zone last night. And inexplicably, at the end of the game, if you stayed up and watched it, had... A minute and 11 seconds on the clock with three timeouts and the ball on third down at their own 45-yard line. A lot you can do there. Instead, they called one more offensive play and then tried a 64-yard field goal. How they got from point A to point B was just baffling. I get it. It's week one. Everyone's rusty. Lack of preseason, there is no excuse for a head coach and a play caller to fumble away something as badly as Nathaniel Hackett did last night. In terms of uh, some coaching debuts for first-year coaches, that was, hands down, by far the worst. The worst. 
And Pete Carroll and Geno Smith, you know, oh, we told you so. I mean, I, I get it was an emotional win. You beat Denver and Russell Wilson's there. It's it's one game. You got 16 more this season. Calm down. I understand why it, it feels really good to you. I understand it. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Coming up this morning, Luke Johnson, friend of the program, friend of mine, New Orleans Saints beat writer for the Times Pick Union and the New Orleans Advocate, going to join me as we um, put a bow on that wild Saints win. Overreaction, underreaction from week one of the NFL. We'll get into that. This morning, Jay Walker is going to be in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll talk a good bit of Cajuns football, the farce that is the college football polls. And we will induct a new tune into the terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame. Last night's Monday night game, though. Shout out, Geno Smith. I mean, first of all, he played well. He had a good game, but he had arguably, I mean, maybe, maybe the best post game line ever. I mean, while, while we, we, we laugh and and love Jameis responding to things, you know, pretty much anything in a post game show. Yeah. Just pain. It was pain everywhere. Just pain, pain. everywhere. I mean, this, this one right here. They wrote me off. I ain't right back though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. Congratulations. (laughs) Gino. But what about all the people that doubted you? I wrote you off. They wrote me off, but I ain't right back. You put eight bars behind that. That's great. That's great. And it was a uh, it was an entertaining Monday night game after a couple of stinkers in the late afternoon window from a nationally televised standpoint in the, in the Sunday night game. You got one more really good one. And someone um, emailed me. Jack emailed Said Scott, why didn't we get the Monday night doubleheader? I thought that's what they did in week one. They're doing it next week, but it's not really a doubleheader. And I, I don't know the specific reasons why, but I have some thoughts. So um next week you got a game that's gonna be on ESPN that kicks off at six fifteen, and then another one that kicks off on ABC at 7.30, which is the normal Monday night football start time. Um, That, I think, is the plan. And I think the reason why, I think it's, uh, what is it? It's it's Tennessee and Buffalo at 6.15 in Buffalo, and then the Vikings and the Eagles on ABC. Should be a good matchup, by the way. And shoot, I mean, in two days, we get Thursday night football, Chiefs-Chargers. I love football season. Uh, I think I think one reason they probably didn't do the the normal double header that they've opened up seasons with is you've got the new broadcast team of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, and you wanted to fully feature them. You start splitting up games. They're on the earlier broadcast. It's not going as late into the night. It it made sense to kind of give them that stage, and what looked like it wasn't going to be. You know, a great game on paper, but had the storyline of Russell Wilson and Seattle going back to Seattle and all that turned out to be a good decision by ESPN because they got 
one game that was entertaining, albeit with some horrendous coaching decisions by Denver. But I think that's I think that's what it is, and and I think there's another. So next week it's it's not so much a double header as it is, you know, a game on two different channels, spreading them out. But I think there is one week this season where they do actually have uh, a double header at some point. I'm not sure when it is later in the season, but yeah. Should be fun. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Scott Prather. Mentioned Luke Johnson. He's going to be on with me. Biggest overreaction to week one in the NFL. Biggest underreactions to week one in the NFL. I would say if you wanted to put a blanket statement on overreaction, you can pretty much just say the whole week one. But the overreaction, I think, is, is, is the Packers. Oh, they're toast. They can't do anything. They don't have Devontae Adams. What's going on? They're going to miss Devontae Adams. They're still going to be good. All of you remember what the Saints did to Green Bay in week one last year, don't you? Green Bay went on to win 13 games. They're pretty good. And then, you know, do the typical lose in the playoffs at home. That, that's been kind of the norm for them as of late. But this idea that they're going to fall off dramatically. The underreaction, I think, thus far, is probably the team that beat them. Because it became more about Green Bay than it did Minnesota, who we make fun of Kirk Cousins. Check the stats. Justin Jefferson, is he the best receiver in the league? He's one of them. I mean, Minnesota let their foot off the gap. That dude could have had over 300 yards receiving if he wanted to in that game. They couldn't stop him. I think another underreaction is is the Patriots being fine. I mean, Miami, they they handled the Pats. Patriots were never in that game. They were never in that game. Never. Tua, Tua looked good. Dolphins looked good. But the Pats looked, they just looked bad. And this idea that Matt Patricia is, for some reason, coaching offense and going to be co-coordinators with Joe Judge, just really bad. And their schedule is, is it's brutal. It is brutal. Um, I think there is a proper reaction to the Cowboys right now. Even, even if you hadn't lost Dak Prescott, the preseason that they had, losing Tyron Smith, you know, their offense is, is it looked really bad before. Cooper Rush came into the game. You've got the spotlight on you because you're the Cowboys. You have Jerry Jones. Now you don't have Dak Prescott for first half of the season, looks like. And while the defense is good, they can't, they come on, they can't carry all that. Over, under, and proper. But every year, the biggest overreactions are going to come from week one. Need to bring Jake DeLome on a little later this week. The former NFL quarterback, former raging Cajun, and a guy that is the color commentator on the Carolina Panthers radio broadcast. Jake could definitely give us some insight into the rust and 
lack of preseason for a lot of these teams. Some teams take it more serious than others. What that, you know, how that plays out on the field. Love talking football with Jake. Stay tuned for that a little bit later this week. But up next, Luke Johnson, Saints beat writer for the Times Picayune and the New Orleans Advocate, NOLA.com. Friend of the program, a veteran, Marine. He joins us next. What was the hardest? I'll tell you what, you know, Luke went back and did a rewatch of the game. What was the most surprising thing to him? Because for a game like the Saints and Falcons had on, on Sunday, there's a lot of things that can get lost in the sauce because there's one crazy swing to another. What was something that on the rewatch he was like, I, man, forgot about it. Surprising. We'll ask him that and much more when we come back right after this. It's the Great Scott Show on a Tuesday on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. He was the 1991 state champion in Nintendo. Ready, down, put, put, put. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. The left hash, Falcons trailing by one. Who from 63 yards out, it was blocked. And the Saints win the season opener in dramatic, come-from-behind fashion. Trailed by 16 points in the fourth quarter. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Kenny Albert, Fox Sports, on the call. Uh, it's been not even 48 hours, but I I don't know. A lot of us still processing that game. It was wild how it all unfolded. And friend of the program, friend of mine, beat writer for the New Orleans Saints, as promised, joining us now, Mr. Luke Johnson. Good morning, Luke. How's how's life, man? How was it to uh, to watch that game in Atlanta from the press box on Sunday? got to tell you man you might have just triggered a little ptsd thinking about like what i was thinking in the moment when Peyton turner blocked that kick i'm like how the hell am i gonna get this game story turned in yeah that's Um, that's the thing for you guys like you people will see writers every now and then joke when when it's like a game's going one way and then it starts to change like well let me let me redo this I, i feel like there's no way you can even start that story until the game is just completely done yeah, I mean, we have to have something turn in right when the game's over. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, I think my my initial game story must have just looked like complete chaos at the top of it. It's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Um, yeah, uh, just an absolutely crazy game, man. Um, what a better what better way to just like ring in like the start of football season than what is hopefully the, the wildest, uh, the wildest ending um, that we have to experience all season. That, I, yeah. that was crazy. That I was mean, absolutely not knock on wood, but yeah, it was, it was insane. I was, um, you know, I'm, I'm helping coach a little bit, my daughter and her soccer team, and they've got a few games left. And so it's, it's during the game. So I, you know, I get there and I kind of avoid everyone. You know, I'm trying to do the old DVR thing, right? Because if I'm going to watch a game, I'd rather not know. And there's just one guy, you know, I know him, and I'm like, don't, you know, don't tell him anything. Like, don't do it. You know, don't do it. He's like, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm recording too. 
And at one point, he's like, oh, Scott, I just looked at the score. And I'm like, stop. Like, I don't even want to see your face. I don't want to see your reaction. Like, nothing. But I got a sense that, like, they were playing bad at halftime. I finally got home. I'm kind of going through the plays, and I'm experiencing everything in delay. But, like, I didn't even have time, Luke, to kind of breathe between, like, commercial breaks and stuff. It all just was kind of coming at me so fast. And by the time we got to any of it, my son, he didn't know what was happening. He was really worried about me. He's like, Dad, like, what's, like, why, why are you freaking out? I was just like, I don't. I, there were so many moments, Luke, where I'm like, the Saints just lost the game again. Saints just lost the game. Oh, they just lost it again. And then there were so many moments where Atlanta's like, no, you didn't. Here you go. No, no, here you go. Oh, here's another one. Here's another chance. I, I'm, I'm still processing it a few days later. Now, you, as somebody that covers this team, you went back, you rewatched it. And during a rewatch, I imagine you always see things that you either forgot about or didn't notice before. For a game like this, there's just such dramatic swings one way or the other. There's probably a number of notable things that, that you noticed that I'm sure a lot of us has forgotten about. So what stood out to you during the rewatch? Well, I, I mean, the main thing, um, I, you know, I really tried to pay close attention to that fourth quarter. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I didn't see like a lot of the, like a lot of the like penalties and stuff um, of which there were many in that, that last period. Uh, but I mean, like like Marshawn Lattimore's two penalties in the final two minutes were just like un- unbelievable. Um, you know, one converts a third down with like basically two minutes to go, and I'm like, I right, they should have lost the game there. Um, you know, one gives them the chance at, at having the the Young Way game winning field goal with, you know, with which I mean they would have basically lost the game there. You know, I, I mean it was. I think those were really bad. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't think the holding penalty was like really like that. Uh, like it wasn't an egregious penalty I, I in the way you, that yeah. the, but you know, I, still, I, I mean, in that situation, you know, you got to be better than that. And yeah, I, I think he's obviously a great player. I think he he played a great game, generally speaking, but uh, just crazy bad penalties there. Um, you know, I, I can't believe the Falcons <laughs> on third and one with the game on the line are like trying to do this, you know, cutesy stuff with Mariota and he fumbles a snap. Um, I, I mean, Cordero Patterson, I don't think, I don't think had one negative yardage play that entire game. And it's just like, what, what are you thinking right there? Um, you know, I didn't see this, but Jeff Duncan was telling me about this yesterday when we were talking about it. Um, but yeah, that, that last punt uh before the saints went on the the you know go ahead drive um i guess you know Taysom hill would have almost definitely blocked that kick oh, yeah. if it wasn't if, if he wasn't held um you know i just there, there's so many things i oh here's here's one that i could not believe i i saw on the rewatch i didn't catch it live when Jameis winston spiked the ball the last time the clock was running there's 30 seconds left on the play clock, play clock, 20 seconds left, 23 seconds left on the game clock when he spiked it on third down. And I am watching him like, wait a second. If they're spiking it for what they are assuming to be the game winning field goal, why are they leaving? Why are they right? The the listener pointed that out to me. I can't believe it. It went over my head too. He's like, they just muff both spikes. I'm like, well, the second one, 
you know, you can't really go for it there because he's like, no, why didn't you just wait? I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. Why didn't you just wait and spike it with three seconds left? I mean, yeah. It, or, but, you know, Atlanta had all three timeouts. Make them use one of their timeouts there. Right, right, right. Or, or force, them, force got, their you know, hand. Right. And then you got a third down, and, you can, and then you can go run another play. You know, I, I just, uh, like, there were so many little things in that in that game where it's just like, you know, you you tell yourself when, when a team makes a 16-point comeback in the fourth quarter that, like, everything has to go right for that team. And there were so many things that went wrong for the Saints. But it was just, like, one or two things that really went right for them. Um, you know, and, you know, obviously, like, Jameis Winston getting – like, like getting cooking there in the fourth quarter was was a huge part of that. Um, you know, that was a thing going right. But like, I mean, they they had so many different ways they could have lost that game. There, there <laughs> were so many moments. Still pulled it off. And, yeah, the it fact crazy. that it was Atlanta, it just makes it. It'll be forever memorable. It's it's hilarious that it happened to the Falcons. I mean, you have Bro Martin Chalmette selling the fail cakes like a day after. Kudos to them for. For, for genius marketing, knowing their audience, um, but it, it, it you, I think you just I think you summed it up best, Luke. When you blow or when you come from behind, you never you've never come from behind by sixteen points in the fourth quarter ever in your entire team history. And when you do it and you win, you would imagine, man, you did everything right. The other team did everything wrong. But to your point, the Saints did a lot wrong, and still got out of there with a win. And I think with the the whole idea of, I think it's pretty evident, and in talking to people and former players, they agree, you know, the lack of a preseason, I don't enjoy the preseason, but not having that fourth game, not having as many padded practices, um, some teams just resting everyone. It's, it's pretty evident in week one, but I think what's also evident is, man, if the players are rusty, what are we going to say about the coaches? Because yeah. they are, they, you you. Look, I get it. It's easy to to sit at home or in a press box when it comes to something like time management because it is something that is the one aspect of the game that's just sort of numbers and math and elementary. But when there's a hundred other things happening at once, it's like, okay, you say it's an easy math problem. Let me, you know, let me put a live gator in the room with you and blow a foghorn in your like try to have as many distractions as possible. Like I get it, and yet you're paid millions of dollars. Like, I mean, just watching that Monday night game last night, I couldn't believe what Nathaniel Hackett was doing on some of those play calls and in the, in the end of game sequence. So if the players are rusty, I, I, you're, you're better with words than me, Luke, but there's gotta be a word to describe what the coaches were like in week one. And it wasn't, it's, it's worse than rust. Yeah. You know, it, and you know, one of the interesting things I, I heard in the broadcast, that I, I don't think I was aware of, because it sounds like, you know, with, with Darren Rizzi, their special teams coordinator, is their assistant head coach. Um, and it sounds like he and Dennis Allen are kind of working together on uh, their clock management sort of stuff. Um, you know, like that's part of Rizzi's responsibility, too. Uh, so hey, you know, we, we got to ask Dennis about that. And, and you know, because he was, he was saying that, uh, you know, this, this whole thing was, was kind of a failure on, on the, a coaching wide level, you know, whether it was um, communicating the plays to the quarterback or, uh, you know, just managing the timeouts and, and the situation. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, like, what the actual roles are here and, uh, and, and kind of where those, those little fissures started. Um, because it's, you know, obviously, like, they won the game and it's all good. 
and it didn't end up mattering. But you know, that that is something that could cost them games uh, down the stretch if if they don't get that stuff figured out. And I think they will. I, I think they've got a pretty smart staff over there. Um, but you know, just kind of kind of curious as to as to how that that whole operation works. When it comes to, and I'm going to get back to the game in a moment, when it comes to the, the petty side of everything, you know, DeMario Davis having the, the Falcons flag in postgame and a lot of the Saints players that have been there for a while, understanding the rivalry and what it, you know, what it means to a fan base and really embracing it in such a big way. You know, I know you're up in a press box, but from a, you know, not so much from a fan standpoint, but from a player standpoint, how much, I guess, extra pepper was there in post game or in, in just maybe just the, the week as a whole because of who the opponent was for the Saints? Well, see, like, and the thing is, is during the week leading up, everybody downplays it, right? And they're like, yeah, you know, Falcons this, whatever, but, you know, it's just another team. Yeah, we've got to go to the win. Can't treat any, any one game more than, you know, is more than the next, blah, 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 blah. And then they go out there and, Mario Davis is like carrying a battle trophy with him off the field, and you know they're you can hear him like whenever they're they're playing this uh, you know this this like inside the locker room videos or like you know, watching Jarvis Landry coming off the field like they're talking about like you know how much more it means to beat the Falcons. It's like I'm going to play this stuff to you guys next time you tell me it's just another game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like clearly, it, clearly, like there is like if if not animosity, then just um, you know, I, I'm struggling to think of the, the word, but like that, that one, that one thing that means more than another thing, like it's this person, this game, it's person. yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, I, I can't think of, I can't think of another rivalry in the NFL that is that is just more, more petty and more personal. You know, like I, I grew up in Wisconsin, and yeah, I was like a Packers fan growing up, and uh, like I remember just this deep feeling of uh of satisfaction when like after watching the Packers beat the Vikings one week, like Aaron Rodgers is like in his press conference sipping a purple crush. I'm like, that was great. Right? That was awesome. But I don't think that rivalry is anything close to like the the pettiness levels of this one. Like the Saints aren't even mentioned as a team on the stadium scoreboard. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's great. I mean, the, the, the Superdome renovations, you know, with little twenty-eight to three jabs. I mean, it, it twenty-eight to three means more to Saints than Patriots, and and people that don't like the Saints make fun of that. But it's like, no, you you can, but you just don't understand the rivalry. Like that's the Falcons mocking the Saints for the refs blowing a call that that essentially kept them out of a Super Bowl. It's like, well, you had nothing to do with that, Atlanta. They're like, we don't care. Like, their pain is is our PEDs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's and 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 the fact that the players embrace it um, and and really, I guess, feel it. They, like you said, they can downplay it, but it's it's undeniable, and it it matters, man. It it makes it more fun. It made yesterday, uh, excuse me, Sunday, that much more fun and that much more painful. Obviously for the Falcons and all time. I mean, the Saints, they won the first game ever in the series back in like 1967. And then the Falcons won 10 in a row. And they've always had the all-time edge. 
But, man, since 2006, the Saints just keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And now, you know, they've, they're, I think Atlanta's 54 and 53 all time against the Saints. It's tied in the regular season, but Atlanta has, has a playoff win. I was there. I was young. It was not fun for the Saints. But the fact that they can now tie that up. And maybe the players, you know, and, and, and to a degree us as well, Luke, it's like we don't remember, you know, all the stuff from the early 70s like maybe some of the older fans go. But for any, like, long-time rivalry, the history plays as well. And 54 and 53 all-time, like, that that means something. I know Sean Payton was petty on Sunday and said, you know, that rivalry ended in 06, but that's, that's him just throwing gasoline on the rivalry. It just, you know, I know the SEC slogan is it just means more. Every year when the Saints and Falcons play, it just means more, period. Even though it's the season opener and there are all these other things, the fact that it's Atlanta just gives it a different a different level of, as you said, petty, and I think a different level of excitement, almost more nerves whenever you're about to lose the game because it's like, if we blow this game, but to that team, like that, Atlanta blew a big lead to Dallas recently, and I guarantee you it didn't hurt as bad as, as it hurt on, on, on Sunday for them because of who they blew the lead to. And that is 100% why I, uh, I was not trusting the five-and-a-half-point spread in that game. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, ah, oh, Saints are going to kill him. Like, you know, we did our, our own um, you know, predictions in-house at the newspaper uh, for, for our game day preview section. And uh, I think all my colleagues had him winning by, like, two touchdowns. So, like, no chance, man. Like, I think they're they're – Two touchdowns better than Atlanta, but there's no way it actually plays out like that. I was vindicated. I felt I felt uh, correct at the end, even though it took it took a long time for the Saints to actually get ahead. Luke Johnson, our guest at by Luke Johnson on Twitter. So, from a game standpoint, Luke, it's Week One. We win. You, you want to be guarded against overreaction? I get it. Um, give me, I guess, the biggest concern, and the and then follow it up with maybe the biggest positive for you from a Saints standpoint after one week of football. Um, I think my biggest concern is is the offensive line at this point. And, and you know, Dennis Allen like kind of clarified yesterday that you know, the protection issues they had were not all on the offensive line. Um, you know, some of it was you know some of it was just they were getting beat by really good players. Like Brady Jarrett is a really really good player, um, and uh, you know I think he had two sacks. One of them he beat. Uh, Caesar Ruiz and another one um, he split a, a double team of. Anders Pete and James Hurst, and, and you know, that's that's going to happen sometimes, um, you know. But I, I do think I do think that they had too many uh, for me to feel comfortable with it. And I, and I guess it wasn't even just the offensive line, but like you know, there are like, like Jameis Winston and, and Eric McCoy are, are responsible for setting these protection schemes. And you know, there was one play where. The Falcons or the, the Saints had uh, six guys in protection. They had their five offensive linemen and, and Alvin Kamara. The Falcons sent four people on the rush, and the Saints only blocked three of them with their six people. <laughs> uh, and uh, Michael Walker, I think is his name, just had a, a completely free shot at Jameis Winston, and he brought him down with, within like a second of the snap. Um, I mean, I mean that stuff cannot happen. And that's stuff that, that can get cleaned up, but I, I mean, it was that's why they were losing the game for most of it. Um, you know, when when the protection was as bad as it was, you know, you could see it even when Jameis had a clear pocket, like he was rattled. You know, his throws were way off target. Um, 
you know, his throws to Michael Thomas, like he, he had probably three throws to Michael Thomas that were just nowhere near the mark. And they kept saying, Michael Thomas is slipping. Like he's got to change his cleats. Like, well, it's because the throws are like five yards behind them every time. Um, so I, I was really concerned with that. I, I was less concerned with the, with the run defense. Um, you know, they gave up a lot of yards. Um, they did not look good, but I, I think that's more of, that's more of a, uh, yeah, the Falcons probably caught him off guard with some things. Um, and, you know, they had to play a, a way that's not, that they don't usually play. And I think this, these are the kind of teams they're going to struggle against. Um, and it's just kind of unfortunate that they have like five games against those kind of teams this year. I, I think their, their rushing numbers are probably going to go, they're, they're going to be worse this year than they have been because they're going to have to face Mariota twice. They got Lamar Jackson. They've got Jalen Hurts, who they've never been able to stop. And they've got Kyler Murray. Um, I think those are going to that's gonna, just going to stress those run defenses. Um, as far as positives, uh, I mean, you, you gotta you gotta start with the receiving core. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about those guys this off season and and what it was going to look like. And you know, I've got like friends texting me like halfway through the through the game, like, well, I guess, I guess those guys aren't any good actually. And, you know, they're all like burying the team. And then, you know, here we go in the fourth quarter. Those guys are all great. I mean, Jarvis Landry was awesome. Uh, and he was awesome in like every phase of like, it's a downfield threat as an underneath threat as a blocker. I think he had like the key block on Taysom Hill's uh, touchdown run. Um, he was great. Michael Thomas, after you know, some rusty moments with, with finding that connection with Jameis, was amazing in the fourth quarter. And Chris Olave didn't get a lot of opportunities, but when they did throw the ball his way, like it, it basically every time ended well. Um, I, that's really, really encouraging. And you know, I, I don't think they're going to have to wait until the fourth quarter to fire this thing up uh, the next time they're out there. Um, you know, and I just think they have an opportunity to be a really, really dynamic passing attack this year. And that, in turn, will open things up for Alvin Kamara. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy who's averaging three and a half yards carry again this year. I think, you know, if they're able to get some rhythm in the passing game for four quarters or for at least more than one quarter, um, he's going to end up being really, really good this year. Not concerned about him at all after week one. You know, uh... As far as Taysom Hill goes, when you're when you're just kind of when your offense is totally out of sync, it's nice to have a shot in the arm. Uh, and I think when your offense is in sync and you give it a quick, different look by bringing them in the way they utilize them, I mean, I I I debated with some listeners this past summer, Luke, about his role and when when Dennis Allen stopped being coy and saying, "Oh, he's tied in one," and he said, "No, he's still going to take snaps like he has in the past and be in that role." And I said, "That's a great thing because in that role, he's he's tremendous. I mean, he's averaged over five yards a carry in his career. It's a good thing." And I, I look, it would frustrate some fans. Well, you know, you'd get into a flow and then you'd bring him in, and sometimes you'd lose a yard. Okay, so it didn't work every single time, but mathematically, you know, if you want to play the analytics, it. It was positive net yards the vast majority of the time, and without without his quick shot in the arm, you know they 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 would have had nothing going into the fourth quarter, and then you know all that receiving stuff would have just been sort of cosmetic yards instead of man that led to a crazy come from behind victory. 
you know, what, what do you make of, of Taysom Hill in the offense and, and what his role is going to look like this year? Yeah, yeah, I was I was really excited to see him um, to see him get so many opportunities. You know, I, I thought I, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, if, if his role was going to be more like um, I guess 2019 Taysom Hill when he when he, he did a lot of that stuff um, before he was he was really ever given a chance to be the starting quarterback, or if it was going to be like. Um, yeah, more like kind of Deontay Hardy before uh, before he kind of got a chance to um, to play a lot more offense. You know, when they were kind of just using him like really like a gadget guy, uh-huh. like five six touches a game maybe, um, and usually like he'd, he'd get like eleven offensive snaps and touch the ball like eight times. You know, I wasn't sure if like if that was going to be the case or if it was really like hey we're going to move him all over the field. He's going to touch the ball in a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm glad to see it was the latter, um, because you know, and, and look, this is another thing where it might be completely game plan dependent. You know, Dennis Allen said afterwards, like he got a lot of carries because he's had a lot of success against this team in the past, and it's true. He, he averages like almost nine yards of carry in his career against Atlanta. Um, so you know, maybe we don't see as much of it in the future, but I, I do think. The way they use him this week um, is just telling me that that he's going to have like a significant role in the offense, and it's not just going to be like, hey, hey, come in here um, when we need you to run the, the quarterback power, or come in here when when you know we're going to line you up on on a you know, you're in a in a heavy set and have you sprint down the field and try to take a deep shot. You know, I, I think. I think he's going to have like a, a real true role in the offense and play a bunch of snaps. And that's, I think a good thing for the saints because when he's in that, that type of do everything role, he, he really does create a lot of problems for the defense. You know, we, we saw the problems the saints had with a mobile quarterback. And, and even if you know that you have to account for him, uh, that's still, you know, that's, that's still a numbers advantage. Uh, like we've, you know, we everybody knows that the whole when you when you're defending a mobile quarterback, you're defending all eleven players. Um, but it's true, and that's why he's had so much success with it. Because I mean, he's a big, strong, fast football player who now has the numbers advantage on his side, or at least a, like an equal numbers advantage. It's it's very difficult to defend. Um, so I hope they do more of it. I think he's a really good football player. Luke Johnson, our guest, uh, Saints beat writer, NOLA.com. You can read his stuff there, uh, or you can pick up a copy of the New Orleans Advocate's Last Time Speaking. And a lot of his stuff also ends up in the Acadian Advocate as well, including at PC had um, Sunday before last. I believe it was on Sunday, your piece on Kai Harley. Um, you know, my mom's a big Saints fan, and she, like, texted me. She's like, you got to read this. I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I do read Luke's stuff. I hadn't read it yet. Uh, but for anyone that missed it, uh, go go back and read it. It's worth the time. You know, a guy that was just kind of known as the uh, cap guru type guy in the shadows. Luke really brings him to life for a lot of us to see a little bit more about the guy, what he's done to get in that position. And uh, honestly, man, I, I thought it was just a fantastic piece of writing. And one thing I took away from it was, you know, he's kind of been quiet and in the background before now he's coming out a little bit, and you did a good job of telling his story. Is that maybe him trying to, um, you know, I guess, uh, is that part of a process to eventually 
you know, uh, get a GM job because ultimately I know that's that's what his goal is, right? Yeah. Well, let's say I don't think I'll, I'm going to say that it would it was it was a d- deliberate thing on Kai's part, um, but I know that the Saints are frustrated that he hasn't had an opportunity to interview yet. Um, I, you know, the Saints like having him around, obviously. Um, yeah, you know, he's, he's a brilliant guy. Um, it really doesn't get enough credit. I don't think for, for the way he's kept this team together. Um, you know, we, we talk every year about the Saints being in cap hell and, and like Kai's just like, whatever, <laughs> like we're not cap hell. I've got a way out of it. Um, and then every year they put a competitive team together. Like he's, he's a really, really important part of that. And somehow, some way he has not gotten an interview for a job yet. Uh, for a GM job, even though he does a lot more than cap stuff, as yeah. I discussed in the piece. Um, I think the Saints are frustrated with that. And using that knowledge that they want him to be <laughs> to be out there and to, and to have opportunities to to interview for GM jobs, because, yeah, frankly, I think if he gets an opportunity, um, you know, somebody's going to see how intelligent he is and how much of a plan he has. Um, and I, I, don't think, I, I think that's all he needs is a foot in the door. Um, so knowing that I, I actually asked him if I could speak with Kai. Um, and you know, Kai was kind of reluctant to do the interview because he doesn't really do interviews. Um, I think this is like the first one-on-one he's done. Um, but he did it and he was great. And, you know, I think his story is, is so good. Um, and, you know, I, I think he does a lot more than people are really aware of. Um, yeah, I'm sure people around the NFL know who Kai Harley is and know that he does more than the salary cap, but you know, maybe not. I, I mean, the guy really, like, you can't, there's, there's basically nothing of, about him on the internet. Like, right. he has a LinkedIn page. That's, that's like the only way he, he able to get his career highlights where, where he went and what he did. Um, you know, there's no, there's no big stories out there about him. Well, there is now, um, there is now, there is uh, now, but you, you know what I'm saying though? It's like, like he's, he's been completely, completely in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, outside the public eye. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, I, I hope at least that, um, yeah, that starts to change because, um, he's really, really um a talented smart driven person um who deserves an opportunity it's if anyone didn't read it uh if you go to luke's twitter account at by luke johnson at by luke johnson it's the pin tweet uh or just you know google in kai harley luke johnson nola.com a lot of ways you can get it but go read it it's worth the read you learn a lot about the guy and a guy and 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 basically a lot of other things i had no idea he was also doing uh, within the organization. Uh, Luke, man, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Before I let you run, as always, uh, did you guys finally finish the office? I mean, it, did, you ever, did you get to watch the boys yet? Or because of football mode, do you still have like eight eight shows that are on hold for you right now? No, okay, so I actually meant to text you about this last night. Uh, last night we, we wrapped up uh, the last two episodes of the boys. So we, we've actually... We've gotten through Barry and the boys. Okay, so, both of them. Whatever, whatever you want to go with. Oh man, 
Um, I watched, you know, so much in the summer is when I had time to watch so much. All right, so um, if anyone's listening, you know, we might have a spoiler, so come back in three minutes. You don't have to go into detail, but what were your thoughts on the finale of Barry? Uh, first of all, that whole season was... Uh, it, for for a show about an, an assassin, um, the whole season was, like, unexpectedly dark. <laughs> Very different vibe than the than the than the fur. You know, the boys had kind of the look. It's serious. It's really dark. Oh, and now it's funny. And now, like, they kind of go in and out of that tone in a lot of episodes. Barry was there were there weren't as many laughs this year. And even when you were laughing, no. you almost kind of felt like Ew, about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think you could tell he wrote that he wrote that uh, that season, or, or the, the writers did that season during the pandemic. Um, I really loved it though. Uh, and uh, without getting too much into the into how the the finale happened, um, I I loved it, um, and I, I loved <laughs> I loved that the the whole season kind of like led up to that point, you know, where everybody's kind of just like out to get Barry, um, and the one guy who finally does does it in like uh, probably the least expecting way, you know. Like he, he, he laid the trap and Barry walked right into and, it. And I, I think and we did too. I mean, I didn't see it coming. I, I did not see it coming. No, no. I just thought I thought Barry was going to like have to make this decision, like who he wants to be, and you know he's choosing the bad route again. And uh, and I, I did not expect to see uh, you know everybody it, it, there, yeah, it, including, it was... including including Henry Winkler, you know, who's, yeah. who's in on the whole the whole thing, like. Yeah, I, I love the whole thing, man. It was, it was, I think, a really, really, really smart season of TV. And I, I'm curious, like, one of the things Chelsea and I were talking about was, like, where do they go from here? You right, know? right. The, the fact that um, it wasn't the end of Barry, that they're going to they're gonna move on from it and uh, not move on from it, move on with it and, and have an idea, though they're not saying it. Um, but I, I, it, it did kind of feel like it was, it was time. Like, if you... If you didn't do it that way, it almost felt like okay, what are, you're just you're just kind of dragging this out now. At, at some point, there had to be, um, you know, a call for for the for the for the terrible things. You know what I mean? I mean, as we yeah. dance around it, um, if you're just tuning in, you know, we're talking Barry. Barry, uh, spoiler alert. Come back in in, uh, in in about ninety seconds. But I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, and and we we can get into the boys another time. I liked it. I mean, it's 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 a show, and it's just there's nothing like it. But it wasn't my favorite season of the boys. I'll just I don't I, you know I was kind of like yeah I liked it, but I think I might have liked some of the other seasons a little better. But I like how they're they they're very much in the moment of time and writing to it, uh, which which I think is you know which I which I enjoy. Um, it's not just, Hey, here's this crazy idea. And this is what superheroes would really be like, but they're, they're playing into the climate and the culture and all of that, of what's happening in the country and around the world. And I'll always appreciate that about the show. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's, you could just have a a show that's out there and different and, and just play off of that. But they actually, you know, they want to be a little bit smarter with it all. And I think that's what separates it and makes it, you know, one of the better shows on, what do we call it? Television, smart tell. I don't know what we call it these days, but one of the best shows out there. Yeah, let's just call it a a serial story. <laughs> I don't even know if it's like uh, if it counts as being on TV. Um, 
but look, I, I, I really, I, I actually think I liked this season more than season two. Okay. Um, I just, I thought it was, uh, I thought it like held the pace a little bit better from start to finish. And I thought the season two, like really had to pick up steam at the end. I think part of it for um, me, Luke might've been like season two is the one season of the boys. I ended up watching episodically and not like, uh, binging it. Like I watched the first three episodes cause they all dropped at once, not knowing that it was going to be a week to week thing after that. So it, uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that. When you binge watch something as opposed to watching it weekly, it also just impacts how you, I don't know, think about the show or view the show, you know. That, that, might, that probably has something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, we might have talked about this when we were watching The Office, but, like, um, you know, Chelsea, my wife, was, like, when we finished watching The Office, she was just like, you know, so many of these episodes must have just been just this huge, huge payoff for their fans who are watching this every week. Right. You know, where they waited years <laughs> for Jim Pam to, to, you know, the kiss or whatever. Or they waited years for Dwight to get married, like 10 years for Dwight to get married. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling the office for people who, you know, this show's been up for 20 years. But you know what I'm saying, though? It's like you, you wait this long time, you get the payoff, and it's just not it's not something we have anymore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I, I believe you. When, when you're actually watching something episodically, it totally changes the experience because we are so used to getting like everything at our fingertips right away. I mean, we burned through the boys in uh, probably about a week. Yeah, um, Barry probably. I mean, Barry takes day. like three days, you know, or two. You yeah. know, it doesn't yeah. take long. But yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's a fun three days, though. I tell you that, man. It's <laughs> there's nothing quite like it. Um, all right, Luke has been our guest. Uh, if you're not following him, go do it at by Luke Johnson by Luke Johnson. Oh shoot! Last question. Uh, I saw something on social media. Was 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 gritty? Was he at the Falcons game? Is he a Falcons fan? The guy, the the, the New Orleans native who created the gritty. Is that is that right? Uh, I don't know if he's. A, I don't think he's a Falcons okay. fan. That might be. I might be wrong. No, no, he, I have no idea. I, I saw one tweet of someone being like, wait, he was at the game. It could have been anybody doing the gritty, but somebody was suggesting that he might have been at the game and, like, wearing Falcons gear. I'm like, oh, that's, that would not be smart on his part. But I don't, I don't know if that's true because I haven't seen it anywhere else. So I'm guessing I probably just got got. That's probably what happened. I'll, I'll have to investigate. Um, he, follow, he follows me on Twitter, so maybe I'll DM him and yeah. I'll get back to you. Yeah, he, fo- well, yeah, he follows us, our, our station as well, but well, I don't want to be like, yo, that, maybe, maybe I'll just hit him up. Like, were you at the Falcons game? And then just, that's what I'll, that's what I'll do. I'll do, a little, I'll do a little back research here. That's yeah, a little, do, do some investigative journalism, Scott. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Johnson has been our guest. Always appreciate it, man. It's always fun. And uh, let's let's do it again next month, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds good, Scott. Always good talking to you, man. We'll talk to you soon. That is Luke Johnson. Go give him a follow on Twitter at BYLukeJohnson. Jay Walker in studio next. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues on this Tuesday. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Are you ready for week two of Thursday night football? Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook 
the official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. You want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. See, it's simple. Bet on LA or Kansas City to win. If your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. I'm Scott Prather, and I'm telling you to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 1420 to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1420 only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued is free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. It is the 8 o'clock hour on a Tuesday. And the legend is here, Jay Walker in studio. Good Jello. morning. Jello. What are your thoughts on Jello? Um It's it it It's great when you're about to have a colonoscopy. Other than that, <laughs> oh my God. other than that, I pass on it. Uh, but you can't drink the, you can't eat the red or the purple. Well, we'll uh, we'll be talking some football today. Obviously, uh, some Cajuns, some Sun Belt, some state stuff. A little bit on the on the Saints as well uh, in the NFL week. And uh, Jay will induct a new song into the TTT Hall of Fame. That'll be fun on Saturday before the Cajuns game. Before Georgia Southern went into Lincoln and and. You know, gave Scott Frost his his final loss as the Nebraska head coach. I said, all things considered, is this the best day in the history of the Sun Belt Conference? And the answer was absolutely yes. And then, you know, look, it was the Cajuns won. It was it was it was it was Ohio. It wasn't Ohio State, but they they took care of business. Uh, actually, not Ohio, excuse me, Michigan. Eastern Michigan. Sorry, not the Ma- the Max in my head. Yeah, it that's was, that. There it, it, it is. There Michigan. it is. It wasn't Michigan. It was Eastern Michigan. Um, it was Eastern Michigan, and, and then you had Georgia Southern. You know, they went into Lincoln, and Nebraska didn't where they used to be. But it was, you know, they, that was it. They put it on them on the road. We've we've called the game there before, Jay. You know what it's like. Um, it was already there. I mean, as, as football is, is the driving force behind so much in college athletics, and you've said it many times. But when Carl Benson went yin, where everyone went yang, he went left when everyone went right with conference realignment. I don't. I don't think any of us could have foresaw how smart of a decision that that was, and it put Commissioner Gill in a position with this recent um, shift in conference realignment to win the battle handily against Conference USA. And I was talking to Coach Desimo on the show yesterday about the state of the Sun Belt from when he played, and now he's like, I played at a time when people were looking to get out, and now people are looking to get in. It's Best 
group of five in college football. How about that? I mean, I know that I know where your allegiances lie, Jay, but could you have foreseen that even ten years ago? No. I don't think anyone could. You know, I um but I but I think you chronicled that pretty well. Because, you know, Carl Benson navigated through some really troubled waters early in his tenure. He was heavily criticized for bringing in Idaho and New Mexico State. But at the time, you had to have 12 to have a conference championship game. And that was the only way they were going to get to 12. And Carl Benson correctly identified that having a a conference championship game was paramount. And when the Big 12 got football to say, well, you don't have to have 12 people because they were down to 10. Well, that enabled the geography to get a little tighter. But they made, a, they made some great choices. You know, Carl was the one who really pushed to add quality, historic FCS programs. And they went and they got Appalachian State and Georgia Southern, both of whom had won multiple national championships. Then they needed to they needed one more, uh, and uh, they identified Coastal Carolina as that particular school. Those ads have all turned out to be very very smart, and and I think it gave a different dynamic to the conference because you had three schools move up, like you said, who wanted to be there as opposed to those that had been looking to get out. And, uh, you know, Commissioner Gill comes in, and thanks to Oklahoma and Texas, you know, you had four more schools, and now you have two distinct geographic divisions, and everybody's looking at the Sun Belt and saying, these people were the smartest ones of all. Go where you're wanted, not where you're tolerated. And when you see the football programs of some of the schools that left for, for CUSA or wherever versus the football programs of those who joined. And you're like, why, why was it was just about getting on TV, the TV market and all this stuff. And, and back in 2011 cable was at its peak and no one could foresee that it was going to start going in a totally different direction. And I know that's just a, a, a piece of the puzzle, but it, 11 years ago, it was maybe the biggest piece. And now it's like, how could you have thought that was a bigger piece than just successful football? And when you have moments like you had on Saturday where Marshall goes into Notre Dame and wins and App State goes into Kyle Field and, and punks the Aggies, um, you know, and Georgia Southern goes to Nebraska and, and Scott Frost is now officially done and they'll pay them $16 million to go away, and they pay Georgia Southern, what, a mil and a half to, 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 to beat them. Uh, it is it's moments like that. I mean, college game day is going to Boone, and App State's playing Troy, and it's on ESPN+. Plus. College game day is going there because college game day is about storytelling, and right now the Sun Belt is having a moment, and they are part of the story in college football, even though, you know, you know, the farce that is the polls might not show that. People that follow the sport realize that um, that it's it's the Sun Belt's moment in the sun right now, so to speak, and and they deserve it. They've earned it. They've earned it. They have earned it, and it's um, and it's a good thing. And there's a team in the Sun Belt that also has the longest win streak in the entire country. Uh, yes, there is. 
Yes, there is. Um, you know, you talk about the teams that that were looking to leave, and since those two teams left, not two teams, five teams left, Western Kentucky has won Conference USA twice in 15 and 16. Florida Atlantic won in 17 and 19. Those were the Lane Kiffin years? Uh, yeah. And, um, and that's it. You know, North Texas has not won a championship. Um, FIU has not won a championship. Middle Tennessee has not won a championship. And let's remember that Louisiana Tech has never won a championship. Even though they were, you know, not one of those teams, they've never won it. They were, I think they'd laugh at me trying to move up and get in here too. <laughs> so, yeah, I think there's, you know, if you ask the folks at, you know, North Texas and FAU, they're going to say, well, it worked out for us because we're going to the American. Um, what about the folks at Middle Tennessee? Folks at Middle Tennessee, you know, I was talking to the folks from Eastern Michigan uh, Saturday. And, you know, he brought up how, what a great move the league made with adding the teams that they added and that sort of thing. And he said, we really thought we were going to get middle and Western. And I said, well, the only problem was middle was broke and they couldn't afford to make the move. They needed that exit fee money. And, um, I said, if it wasn't for that, they'd be in the Mid-American right now. And, uh, and he said, we need to make another run at them. I said, ooh, that'll be interesting. Back's not the Sun Belt, but I think middle will take what they can get. Well, you know, I... And, and, and if that happens, then Conference USA is in a lot of trouble. I think they, you know, I think they're going to survive this, bringing up, you know, Jacksonville State and Sam Houston. I, I, I think they'll survive that, you know, because Liberty's coming in. They're going to be a player right away in the league. Uh, New Mexico State is not a great football program, but but they've got a story tradition in basketball that's going to help. That's going to appease Western for now. Um, but, man, you lose those two schools, and, and, and now not only do you have another huge hole geographically, but now where do you go? ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I've seen a take... That I don't, I don't think I agree with it. Um, I I don't think it's it's as simplified as some have made it out to be. That well, some of these big P fives, the players are now getting too much NIL stuff, and so they're not as invested as maybe some of the G five. I mean, we've seen G fives upset P fives for years. This isn't some new phenomenon, right? We've seen FCS. I mean, App State was an FCS school when they went into the big house and beat Michigan. Correct. Um, I I'm not I'm not downplaying that that could have an impact on some players. What I am saying is that is not to me like the story here. That is not the reason. No. And and I think to 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 try to break it down to that is you're just you're trying to use something cool that happened in college sports to prop up an argument for something. And it's like if you want to tell me that maybe some players, especially ones that get a bunch, because it's Look, as much as people joke around that A&M pays every player, there's not every player on the Aggies that got life-changing money. Um, it, it's To me, it's a different argument. I, maybe maybe we'll see that 10, 15 years. I don't think we're seeing that right. 
No, you you know what you're what what you're seeing when people say that are people who are really against NIL, and every time something weird happens, they're going to point to NIL, and and I get that. You know, I mean, I don't like NIL either, but no, this has what you saw Saturday doesn't have anything to do with NIL and players not being motivated or any. Look, before they were getting NIL, you would have such a thing as a trap game because players weren't motivated to play an inferior opponent when they had a really good opponent on the horizon. We've seen that for years. Or one right after, right? Correct. Sandwiched between the big game. Correct. So I'm, I'm, you know, no. We've said it for years. I mean, the college polls are a bit of a farce, but like, come on. If if somebody called yesterday, they're like, how come when uh, Florida won, they went up there? And then when I'm like, you know why? Why are you asking? Like, it's A&M is still ranked in the AP poll. App State is not like. App State had App State beaten North Carolina. Sure, they'd, they'd be, be ranked, ranked right now. They'd be ranked, but you know, Marshall's two and zero. Well, Marshall's two and zero, but the only thing on their resume was a win over an FCS school. If they open the season with a win, maybe they get ranked. But isn't that silly, though? Sure, it is. I mean, isn't that you know? Sure and, it is. and we all know that if they were not in you know a G five, they they would already. You know, be look. The only thing we we'll say about that is just win. Okay, just go go keep winning, and rankings will take care of themselves. We learned that two years in a row. If you go out and you win every week, sooner or later they're going to take notice. They're going to have to. And, you know, you are in a situation where Cincinnati has a loss, Houston has a loss. Um, you are in a situation right now where, if those schools keep winning, the winner of that game is going to play in a New Year's Six Bowl when they play at the winner of the game when they play each other. If they keep winning, who, who are you talking about specifically? I'm talking about App and App Marshall. State Marshall. Yeah, I, I think App. If they had gotten that season opening win, I think it would be no doubt. But oh no, if they had gotten the season opening win and beaten North Carolina and A and M we'd be talking about them having an outside shot at the college football playoff. I don't think the Sun Belt is there yet the way the American was and Cincinnati was a year I ago. I agree. You but, know, but, I it, but because Cincinnati made it a year ago, it there would be a lot of talk about it, not saying it would happen. Yeah, I don't think. There'd I don't be think a ton of talk about it. I don't think it would. Game they should have won, man. It was a wild game in week one. And, and look, it's... You're only two weeks into the season. We know there's a whole lot more football left and all that, and it'll all sort itself out. But it was um, it was the biggest day in the history of the Sun Belt Conference. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be if a Sun Belt got a win uh, at a you know against a P5, even if they weren't ranked, that was sort of the headline. Two road wins against teams that were in the top ten at the time. Um, Georgia Southern's win, all that stuff. It was, I mean, it was all over my timeline. You know, like prominent college football writers that were like, put some respect on the Sun Belt, not just fans of teams well, in the Sun Belt. You know, I, I I think it was, I saw the graphic, I think it was over the last five years, the Sun Belt's got more P5 wins than any other G5 conference. Um, yeah. There so you there. go. So there. Uh, and, and, and look, we talked about 
the three wins that were signature wins for the league. Getting lost in that is South Alabama going to Central Michigan and winning by two touchdowns. I have been saying for about three years now, the only thing keeping South Alabama from contending for a championship is the quarterback play. They have a quarterback now. And they are going to be a bear the rest of the season if they stay healthy. That's a good football team. They, I mean, I they played Nichols week one, but they beat them like, like a, lot a drum. To a I mean, like a drum. They just, they dominated them. And, um, and if you want to continue the momentum, South Alabama goes to UCLA this week. And I'm, I'm just telling you, if some things go their way, that's a winnable football game. If they if that happens, then the Sun Belt will have another moment. Even though UCLA isn't, you know, well, they're a team about to go to the Big Ten. They're two and zero. They're um, what's the line in that game? It's fourteen. Current line I'm looking at is fifteen and a half now okay. for UCLA minus fifteen and a half in Pasadena, where the temperature will be great. How about the temperature here this morning? Man, I was I, I I wake up before the sun comes up and I I walk the dog at five thirty. I was legit. I was wearing it. I was cold. I was like, I should have put a jacket on. What's going on? It's it's still the middle of September. We got uh, three nights in a row coming like that. That's pretty wonderful. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. ESPN Lafayette best ticket in sports. I'm Scott. That is Jay Walker. We will uh, Jay will induct a song into the Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame. In just a little bit. Phone lines are open, 337-269-1077. Um, I got a, a text from Melvin that said BYU. BYU is not eligible for the slot from the group of five because they're not in a conference. They're an independent. They're not eligible for that. Yeah, the, where they get the automatic. Gotcha. The, the highest rank G5 conference champion. Gets that slot. Right. BYU's not eligible for right. it. Well, it, they're correct. Now they're eligible for the college correct. football playoff right. if they run the table. Right. But and they're, they're not eligible for that automatic G five. And slot. they're eligible for an at large spot in a New Year's six, but sure. like they're not they don't get it if they get high enough. Yeah. Correct. That's that makes sense. And I hadn't even thought about that. But you know, well, Notre Dame didn't either. Yeah, well they're Notre Dame. They they if they're even close to it, they'll put them in there. But uh, being zero and two, yeah, not not looking good for the old Irish. How about Marshall, man, that was <laughs> it, it. It was great, but Marshall needs for Notre Dame to start winning, so that way that that particular win doesn't get stained. Because look, it's a big deal. Marshall went in and beat Notre Dame, but if they wind up beating a six and six Notre Dame team, it's it's some of the some of the. Shine comes off. Um, through 48 games as head coach, or no, more than that. Shoot, now we're 50-something games in. Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher, 50 games into their, their coaching careers at A&M, someone had a better record than Jimbo. Yeah, Kevin Sumlin, yep. It's a whole lot of money to pay for not winning as much. Well, and you know what? Texas A&M's got about 100 million reasons to hang on to Jimbo. How about that agent? Goodness. Uh, I think 
I want to make sure I'm I'm getting the name right. Um, Josh Pate, who does a lot of college football stuff, uh, he's host of the Lake Kick Live and Lake Kick Pod. He had a great. He's like, I can explain A and M's problems in thirty seconds. If you go to your refrigerator and you have a gallon of milk that says it expired in 2014, you're going to throw it away. He said Jimbo Fisher is still running an offense that expired in 2014. It can't work today. Wow. It, it, that's, that's a rough spot. I mean, if Jimbo, if they hadn't gotten that upset win against Alabama last year, that, that, that covered up some of the nasty – scars on last year's squad almost almost putting makeup on him a little oh, yeah. bit like oh yeah but but you did this and and it was Saban's first loss to one of his former coaches and it got all this hype and it's like that was that was a big moment for him but you're forgetting all these other areas they really struggled in last year and um it's not it's not good over there and look the the yell like what do they call it the yell um midnight yell pa- midnight practice. yell thing that's been going on for years, but it makes the rounds on social media every now and then. It is kind of cringeworthy bad when you have somebody doing terrible stand-up saying offensive things about Appalachian State, but then it's funny that the next day they got beat by them. But I've seen some people like, what is that? I'm like, that's that's been happening at Texas A&M for as long as I can remember. See the, uh, the video, uh, the SEC, uh, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Um, hang on. All right. Because there's a video that if you have not seen it, you absolutely have to see it. SEC shorts. SEC shorts. It says the college football ER was busy this weekend. And it is hilarious. All right. I've got it right here. I might, I'm going to have to watch it during the break. Does the audio work or you got to have the video? No, you you really need both. Okay, it's not worth playing on. Right? Oh, uh, no, you no, you really need both. Okay, all right, I'm going to check that out. Um, getting back to the Cajuns for a moment, I asked you, and you answered it, but I'll ask you on the air: Have you ever seen uh, a UL football game with a more just polar opposite? halves? And I know it was a weird first half because you had the the hour long lightning delay, and then you had a few more minutes, but Strictly first, second quarter versus third and fourth quarter. Have you ever seen, I guess, a bigger difference? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of folks who are on the upper side of the spectrum age-wise remember the USL comeback against Northeast Louisiana, down 26 nothing at halftime, and Dwight Pridham, uh had a 70-yard quarterback sneak that kind of jump-started a 40-point rally, and 40-26 to 26 was the final score. There was also a game in the HUD years where the Cajuns shockingly fell behind to New Mexico State. I want to say they were down 28 to nothing in the first half. But by halftime, it was a football game and they wound up, they wound up winning. And I'd have to go back to see exactly how many points they fell behind. But it was at least three touchdowns that they were down in the game. Was the final 49-28 or something, something like that? Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I guess I forgot about that one. That would, that, and mean, you know what? I had forgotten about it until just now. <laughs> I, um, I, 
Look, they couldn't. They just they they couldn't get anything going. I mean, five possessions, five punts. The last possession was just a kneel down. I mean, we're not you know. And in the second half, seven possessions, seven touchdowns. You force five turnovers, which through two weeks of the college football season, they're second in the country in turnover margin behind USC. Um, well, small sample. It's not a small sample size. This is a trend that has continued from, you know, the last couple of seasons, Jay. And I think protecting the football, no turnovers yet this year. I mean, have they even put it on the ground yet and recovered it on their own? Have they fumbled at all? I don't think they have not, you know, they're, oh, had- yeah, yeah. They, they had one fumble in the first game. Okay. And they jumped on it. Right. So you've had one fumble you recovered. I can't remember ones. Have, have there been, because, you know, I've been here in, in the studio and we're kind of seeing some of the game video-wise, seeing other plays, we're chopping up highlights. Has there been a play where the opponent just dropped a, an, a sure interception? Like, it's it's not a fluke is my point. Um, and they're creating turnovers on the other side. That's That's the kind of trend that... You talk about the number of one-possession games they won last year. You talk about having the longest win streak in Division I football at now 15 games. That, to me, is the top of the list. I know it wasn't the top of the list for this 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 game last week because you scored a bunch and it was a tale of two halves, and that's kind of the lead. But if you want to say, what's the biggest key to winning 15 in a row? Well, be one of the best teams in the country in turnover margin, and you will be in every single football game. In the games where you have superior talent, you'll win by a lot. In the games where you don't, you, you have a good chance to win a close game, and that's what they've done. They have uh, they have done that. You know, the Cajuns were plus 15 in uh, turnover margin a year ago. Uh, they're already plus 7 in turnover margin so far this year. Now... I just got a, uh, I just got a text from uh, Kent talking about big comebacks, and he asked, "What about the comeback at Houston in 2006? I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far were the Cajuns down in that game? And they were down 21. 21 they came 000. back from a 21 point deficit um, to to win." Um, and and I want to say that that game still wasn't competitive at halftime. I, I would have to go back I don't, and check. Yeah, I don't remember when they started to come back. It kind of just, it was, listen, you know, to be clear, I think that's a that's a different conversation if you're talking about comebacks. Like, Saturday's game didn't feel like a comeback. You know, it was, it was 14 nothing. You know, it didn't, it didn't. It 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 didn't feel like oh my god there's nothing they can do and part of that has to do is it was it was Eastern Michigan occasion field you weren't on the road against Houston and UL's in a different place football wise than they were then um, I, I'm just streak I'm just speaking strictly of just how vastly different two halves were for you know the UL football team but I think best comebacks I think that's a that's a different conversation and certainly the the win against Houston's in there because let's be real Jay I mean. You you were in the press box. You weren't thinking we're walking out of here with a win tonight. Hey, oh, they were down twenty one against Kevin Cobb for crying out loud. <laughs> you're not like we're going to drive back to Lafayette tonight, and there's there's going to be a win in hand. Um, the New Mexico State game was twenty eight to seven. Um, the Cajuns had closed to within twenty eight to fourteen at halftime. New Mexico State got a fourth quarter touchdown, forty nine to thirty five. 
Did one of the running backs have like four touchdowns in that game? Um, I think it was. I think Alonzo Harris. That might have been. Well, let's see. Touchdown. Alonzo Harris had a thirty-yard run. Alonzo Harris had a three-yard run. Alonzo Harris had a five-yard run. Elijah McGuire had a fifty-one-yard run. Alonzo Harris had a six-yard run and a two-yard run. Yeah, he had five touchdowns. Five touchdowns. There you go. Five touchdowns in that one. Um, and that might have even been homecoming. I think it was. Cajuns at Rice this Saturday, Jay. What is your uh, expectation for this matchup? Well, I, I agree with what Mike said last night that it's um, it's probably the best team the Cajuns have played so far. Um, I I do think they're an improved team. Um. Cajuns are favored, um, but I don't, you know, this is a game that that they're going to have to go out and play well because Rice is capable if the Cajuns make a couple mistakes. But um, they're getting some pretty good quarterback play. Rice is a hard team, unless you watch film on them, and I have not done that. It's very difficult to peg Rice because... In their first game, they went out to the West Coast. They turned it over a bunch of times and got beat 66-14 to 14 by USC. Last week, they had five takeaways and just beat the snot out of McNeese. So what do you, what do you take from that? Well, you don't take anything from that because there's nothing to take. So you have to watch film. And Mike has. I haven't. He, he really likes the quarterback. And he said there's a guy in the defensive line that, that's got a shot to play in the NFL. And what I take from it is just don't turn the ball over. Just well, keep, and, keep the and, trend up you know, and just I, protecting the football. I looked. Ricky Bustle said it. Mark Hudspeth said it. Billy Napier said it. I've been saying it for 20 years. There is no more statistic more important in college football than turnover mark. Mike said that any game that they've been plus two in, they've won over the last several years. And they talk about it on the on the sideline. The defense will say, come on, we got to get two. We got to get two. And then they get one and say, okay, we got to get one more. Um, there is no more important statistic than that. Teams that take care of the football win football games. Imagine that. Coach Desmond also said about Rice, they're the most multiple team on offense and defense we play. More gap-oriented. Defensively, they pressure a lot more. Got to be sound. Part of being sound, obviously, is number one on the emphasis list, like you said, protect the football. Protect the football, you win football games. Get careless with it, you lose. I mean, we can circle back to the Saints, which we'll get into in the final segment, but, you know, Jameis Winston, Jameis, well, just Protect the football. That was the story of him in Tampa. So far in New Orleans, he's protected the football. And while that certainly was not the storyline on Sunday because of how insane that game was, that's look, look at the playoff teams every year in the NFL and go look at turnover margin every year. You also had, you know, and again, Mike and I talked about this um, last night. You know, he said that you know the th- one of the things that they coach and coach and coach and coach and coach is ball security. Now, Cajuns only had eight turnovers all of last year. 
Now, part of that was because Levi wasn't going to throw a pick. He was going to throw the football away before he was going to take a chance and throw a pick. You know, we haven't seen what the Cajun quarterbacks now are going to do. But in Billy Napier's four years, the Cajun running backs in four years lost two fumbles. Somebody got a hat on Trey Regis in that Superdome game against Mississippi State, got a hat on the ball and jarred the ball loose. And then uh, Chris Smith last year put one on the ground. That, that, that's been it in the last four years. They've lost other fumbles, but it's been on special teams or the wide receivers, or, but not the running backs. That's key. Protect the ball, protect the score. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. That is Jay Walker. You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Hey, sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now back to more of the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. What I mean about TTTs that make you smile? Absolutely. See, you heard that? And no, you yeah, lit oh, up. yeah, that one, that one made me up. smile right away. Wiener dog. Skiing. Dad <laughs> on the beach. Sports. <laughs> ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. <laughs> I'm Scott. That's Jay. Gerald Broussard joins me Wednesdays during football season. He will be in tomorrow. Did you happen to hear? I don't remember if it was in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. And and I've got to find it. Okay, I got I got to call the people at Learfield say you got to find this and, and send it to me. When G we were talking about Eastern Michigan with the heat and humidity that they were gassed. Okay, so and but it was either late third or into the fourth quarter. And he went into this soliloquy about if you're a lineman and there's a lot of heat and humidity. And he started talking about your butt crack and and all 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 the stuff down there getting moist and, and and it was and he just went on and on and the more he talked, the more I was trying not to laugh out loud. And I gotta you might ask him about that. I, I, I so I was in and out of the studio. I was training some guys. I feel like I would have remembered him talking about moist offensive linemen and you trying not to laugh. But now I got to have the clip because I want to play it when he's on tomorrow and just see his reaction. I, I it's 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 an amazing thing. ESPN Lafayette. So when it, when did that it, happen? What 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 part in the game? I'm going to say late third or into the fourth or, or the fourth quarter. I mean because it, it was you know 
Eastern Michigan had had, had enough. ESPN Lafayette. Um, Bromart in New Orleans, a grocery store, started selling fail cakes yesterday with the score of the Atlanta-New Orleans game and the time, 26-10. to 10. Good job knowing your audience, by the way. Um, you turned it off. I did. You did. You and your all you have seen from the Saints this year to this point is horrible football. That's outside correct. of like two Taysom Hill plays, I did not watch any of the preseason because I'm not into football practice. Um, and I watched until the middle of the third quarter, <laughs> and I was thoroughly disgusted by what I saw. So I turned away and watched the Steelers and Bengals. Joe Burrow turned it over five times. He had the worst game of his NFL career. and um, But I'm not taking the blame for that because he had already done that by the time. I mean, because, look, those five turnovers came early in the game. Um, and, of course, you know, you got to crawl at the bottom of the screen. They update scores constantly. And um, I happened to glance down and saw that it was 26 to 18. You know, and then I happened to glance down and... So I knew they were coming back. And I even said out loud, I said, wow, they're within two and there's, a, you know, two minutes to go, whatever it was. And I picked up the remote and I said, nope, not going to do it. Put the remote back down because I didn't want to jinx them. Because I knew if I turned it on too soon, they would turn the ball over, they'd miss a field goal, something bad would happen. So I uh, just... Stayed with the crawl at the bottom of the screen, and uh, you didn't see it till it went final. You didn't, but you, I, did you forget who they were playing? Because you know that team is notorious for blowing leads. Yes, yes, I know they are, but I didn't see anything in the first three quarters that that told me that that had an icicle's chance in hell of happening. Just in the last three years, just in the last three years. The the Falcons have lost three games where they're up by fifteen or more in the fourth quarter. And we're not even going back to twenty eight to three. And the rest of the NFL, the entire NFL has only lost two. Wow. So Jay's Jay's Saints experience on Sunday. What did it feel like, Jameis? Where was the pain, Jameis? Yeah, just pain. It was pain everywhere. So we gotta keep on pushing pushing through and being resilient. But Jay wasn't resilient. He just said, I'm not doing it. I, I'm not no. It was it was I, yeah, I, I guess I've now. I kept saying yesterday, I'm still processing the game because I was. I guess today I finally finished processing it. But week one, man, especially now, and, and several callers brought it up, and I got Jake Delome on later this week. I'll talk to him about it. I'm sure he'd agree, though. It's it's the it's the week where you have to where the most shenanigans is going to happen, the most stuff that isn't a tell all for how the season's going to go. Because even though you don't watch televised football practice, one last preseason game, more players today not playing in these games, less padded practices in training camp, all of it. Teams were rusty. Like Geno Smith looked great last night. Geno Smith played all preseason, all preseason, because he was in a quarterback battle. And uh, Mike, who has been calling the you know the station for years. He asked me yesterday. He's like, do you know if the Falcons you know played a lot of their guys in the preseason? I said, I I don't because you know it's hard enough to watch the Saints preseason game. I'm not going to watch the Falcons, but it was a good question. And I went and looked. They did play a lot of their starters in the preseason, and they they were not rusty. They were ready. Um, you know the Packers. They don't 
they don't do a lot in the preseason. Last year, the Saints skull drug them 38-3. They looked bad against Minnesota, who, by the way, I think Minnesota's going to be good this year. I picked them to win their division. But week one is when you see a lot of rust. And I think by the time you get to week four and week five is when you really get an idea of what's what. Having said that, I'm just, it was a joy to watch the Falcons fumble that away multiple times. The Saints fumble it back in Atlanta say, no, 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 no. This is our thing. We're the team that blows leads. And the Saints, who downplay all week, the play, the, the players, they play it perfect, Jay. They downplay the rivalry during the week, and then on game day, they're just all in. I mean, DeMario Davis is walking into the post game with a rise-up flag, and they're they're just taking jabs at the fan base. It couldn't happen to a better team. Did you? Uh, it was wonderful. Did you hear what Sean Payton said about? Oh yeah, but in the, see, in the pregame, yeah, that rivalry died sixteen years ago. Sixteen years ago. But that's just him understanding the rivalry. Yes, I mean the petty is just at a whole nother level. It 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 is. It's you know it, it it's gotten to the point now. If you're not a Saints fan, if 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 you root for the Falcons, and now they're just rubbing your nose in it every chance they get. You know, if the if the shoe was on the other foot, we we'd be ready to go kill somebody. And it 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 was for many years. The Saints won the first game ever in the series in 1967. The Falcons won the next ten. I mean, they had such a big gap in this all time series. Yeah, Saints finally caught them. Well, in the regular season, it's now tied all right. time. They have that one playoff game, so Atlanta still has one game on them, fifty four to fifty three. But that gap didn't feel like it was ever going to close until. Really, until recently, and it's it's just glorious, man. It's just it's wonderful. There's nothing better than being in Atlanta. There's nothing more funny when they blow a big lead, and the fact that they did it to the Saints, it just it was great. It was great, Jake. And I think now people outside of maybe this region, you're starting to see. I would say in the last few years, the national media is starting to realize, oh, okay, we remember that hearing that this was a rivalry, but I think we're starting to understand more why it's maybe just how heated it is. It's starting to get a little more national play. Yes, it is. Forget the Falcons. That's what I got to say about it. All right, Jay. It's great seeing you. Good to see you too. Thank you for playing Fluffy. (laughs) And we will, um, Jay, we'll talk to you guys Saturday from Houston. Louisiana taking on Rice. Cajuns 2-0, 15 straight wins dating back to over a year ago. And uh, they will uh, be at the Rice Owls pregame at 4.30, kickoff at 6.30. I will talk to you guys tomorrow right here. Same time, same place.